Good morning, everyone. Thanks for letting me jump in. I'm supposed to be over there telling a Bible story in a couple minutes, so my mind is a little bit scattered. <laughs> but I just wrote down a few things because I wanted, I know there's some new moms here, and I wanted you to understand a little bit of what your kids are going to be doing um, this morning. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to meet Linda Redding or Karis Kiwis, but they are amazing ladies with the kids. They, they love the Lord and they love to share the gospel with little kids, which is a gift, I think, for that to be a combination in women. And um, first of all, I wanted to look at my notes because I slow down. <laughs> um, I wanted to thank you guys for being here because I think that says a lot about where you're at and that you want to be growing deeper with God and you want you brought your children with you and so that shows me that you want them to know God too and that's a huge blessing to have a place where you can do both of those things because as your heart grows then that's going to be a reflection on your kids and um, I know that God is faithful to reveal himself to those who seek him and so I'm just excited to see great things happening in your families this year. Um, also, I wanted to um, just say that your kids will be participating in a gospel-saturated morning. <laughs> We're going to be going through the life of Christ and the Gospels, and so that's going to be like every week they're going to hear the gospel over and over. So it'll be exciting. and if. I've, I've watched Linda Redding with the three to five year olds and she is amazing. Like even if she's just teaching them songs, she puts the gospel all into it. Like there's, um, before she sings and after she sings, there's a guided conversation going on the whole time. So it's really exciting to see how the kids respond to that. Um, and Karis is just amazing with the two year olds. She gets them to do things that I don't know, I, I could never do with them. So <laughs> you guys are in for a treat if you hear them singing songs in the car or whatever. Um, one thing is um, I in your handouts you should see a list uh, like a schedule because we were going to ask each of you to come in and help in the classrooms at least one time. Some of you I put you in twice just because I wanted to have two helpers each week. So it kind of worked out with the numbers that I had to ask a few of you to come in twice. Um, I just randomly put the, the dates in there. So if you look at your schedule and something doesn't work, we can definitely talk through it. And you can figure out to trade with someone or we can work around that. But I just wanted each of you to get a chance to come into the classrooms. Um, you'll be helping with probably the babies and, or the crawlers, but you'll get to see kind of what's going on. Um, throughout the morning. So, I don't know, I feel like that was kind of randomly scattered around, but if you guys have any questions, um, my number's on there, Linda's number is on there. I also wanted to say that I'm, this year I'm replacing Maggie Dahlman, which some of you know her, but just so far I've had a greater appreciation for her and her humble servant heart and how she just did things that I had no idea all the things that she was doing so so feel free to ask me any questions that you have if, if 
you think of something or you have a concern about your children or whatever is going on, don't hesitate to contact us because we want to work alongside with you guys. So I think I said everything. Thank you. Thanks, Lena. So I, we just changed things up a little bit because Dina needs to get over it and uh, as she said, do the Bible story. So let, let me just again welcome you. My name is Chris Evans and uh, on behalf of Suzanne Blevins, Suzanne, would you just stand up? Suzanne's my right-hand gal. She'll be doing a lot of the teaching this year. We do want to welcome you. Um, we have been praying for you and uh, we are just really excited that you're here and look forward to being together for the next nine months and all that God has to teach us. So this morning, Scott Maxwell is going to start us off. He'll be in here in a little bit. Um, Scott is the elder over women's ministries. And um, Scott is one of those hands-on elders. He is so encouraging as we plan. He's always there to help. I know that he prays for you. Um, he loves this ministry. And uh, so I, I know it'll be a real treat to hear his heart this morning um, as he comes in. So he's going to be teaching Grace Bible Church's vision and purpose and how this ministry of Wellspring fits into that. Um, but before he does, we do have um, a, quite a few details to uh, go over. We have a lot of new people this year. In fact, if this is your first time taking Wellspring, would you just stand up, please? I know there are a lot of you. Wow, we just want to welcome you. I am so excited you're here and really looking forward to getting to know you. And uh, I hope that this will be a great year of growth and encouragement for you. So thank you very, very much. Um, also, for those of you who are new, just want you to know there happens to be a couch in the back there. And uh, it's a perfect place if you want to get your baby and you know you can nurse back there or just hold your little one um, and still take part in the morning. So feel free to, to do that. Um, so I just want to begin by talking a little bit about what a Thursday morning is going to look like. You'll be able to drop your kids off at 845 um, in their classrooms and then um, come on in here right away and you'll uh, have you'll check off your um, in the attendance sheet. There'll be homework and uh, uh, an outline to pick up every morning, grab some snacks and uh, some coffee, and we're just going to have a time of fellowship. Um, I know that uh, we all like to enjoy visiting with one another, and that's just a perfect opportunity to do that. We officially start Wellspring at 9 o'clock, but we know that there are some of you who are dropping kids off still in the morning, and so we've, we've uh, kind of cushioned that a little bit with some time of, of fellowship. So I do um, want to encourage you to be here right at 9, if at all possible, and that way we can uh, get started when, when we need to. But we have allotted um, just a little bit of time for those of you who are dropping kids off. So Jenna Kelso will start us off each morning. Jenna, do you want to just stand up and say hi? This is Jenna. So she'll start. She uh, is really good at watching the time, so she'll get us started on time each week and uh, she will start us off with prayer, some encouragement from God's word, and then also she does an amazing job at reminding us of the lesson, the week, pre the week before the previous lesson and how that's going to tie into the lesson that we'll hear for that week. So Jenna will get us started each week. And then once a month we'll have a time of worship 
and that, that's why you have um, the songbooks. If you were new and you didn't get a songbook, there are some back there. And uh, if you really can't find one, or maybe we didn't have them, you haven't been to Wellspring for a while, go ahead and there's some more back there and, and uh, take a songbook. Um, I also want to just mention that the songbook isn't just for this morning. I love going through those in just my own time with the Lord to, um, well, I don't sing. I make a joyful noise to the Lord very quietly, um, so Ken can't hear in the next room. But uh, just a great way to sing praises to God. So um, it's also a tool um, for you to be able to use that as well. So after Jenna um, comes up and gets us started every morning, we'll have about an hour worth of teaching time. And after that, we will break into our discussion groups, except for this morning. So you, as you picked up your um, packets back there, there are your, your assigned list of the discussion group that you'll be in is in there. If for some reason you d didn't get on one, it's my fault. Please come and talk to me, and we'll make sure that you get assigned to a group. And then we're going to end our time um, right at 11 o'clock. We want you ready to pick up your kids at 11 o'clock. So discussion group leaders, it's your responsibility to make sure that you wind things down about 10.55 so that um, everyone is ready to pick up their kids right at 11. We really are so blessed to have women who are so committed to not just childcare, they are committed to teaching God's word and sharing the gospel with your little ones. They, they consider that their ministry and are so faithful in doing that and they plan well for that up until 11 o'clock and so we just want to be honorable of their time and of what they have planned by being in there right at 11 o'clock to pick them up and so at that point pick up your kids and if you want to come back in this room and enjoy some more fellowship we would love that just feel free to do that also, this year, we're going to do cleanup just a little bit differently. Each week, we're going to um, assign a discussion group. Suzanne is going to send out a schedule pretty soon of that. And um, Jenna will probably write it up on the board um, ahead, um, that week of who's responsible for cleaning up. So if it's your week to clean up the discussion group, um, you'll probably, if you'll need to wind up like maybe 10 minutes till, and then there won't be a discussion group meeting in here. So you'll be able to come back and just take all of that stuff back to the kitchen and start cleaning up. And then um, I can stay after and help. So it, those of you who have kids, if you're not done at 11 o'clock, just feel free to stop, pick, go pick up your kiddos, and then there'll be plenty of us here to, to finish cleaning up. So. So again, when you come in at 9 o'clock, um, you'll check, make sure you check the attendance and pick up your packet. And uh, you received a name tag this morning, and we're going to ask that you wear those name tags. It's easy to think, well, I've been here a long time, everyone knows me. But as you saw so many women stand up this morning, they don't know us. And so we want to make it easy for them to know our names. And also, I want to get to know all of your names for those of you who are new. So let's at least for the first half of the year wear our name tags each week. I think that would be really, really helpful. Maybe just um, tuck it into your notebook so that you have it every week. So let's just talk a little bit about Wellspring. This might be your first week, or maybe it's been a few years since you have taken Wellspring. And so maybe just need a little reminder so Wellspring is a training ministry that specifically focuses on cultivating, <clears throat> excuse me, cultivating lives that are transformed by the gospel and transformed in such a way that it affects our hearts, our homes, and our ministry. 
so that the church is strengthened. So we know that that's going to best happen if we're here consistently. So the lessons that we have prepared for the year build on one another. And uh, so you will benefit most from Wellspring if you are here each week. So Wellspring is a nine-month commitment. And so we just ask that you take that commitment seriously. But when we talk about commitment, we know that that we want you to know that that means that if you have to miss, we want you to come back, okay? We know that kids get sick, things come up unexpectedly, and uh, that's gonna happen, but as far as you can, plan to be here each week. And if you do miss, come back. And if sickness hits your family hard and you've missed three weeks in a row, come back, okay? We want you to be here. We understand that happens. But we want you to come back because a very important element of Wellspring is not just the teaching time, but really the discussion time and us learning from one another the things that God so faithfully teaches us and to be able to share that with one another. And so that, again, that's going to best happen if you are here together participating um, in the teaching, in the discussion, and in being faithful to do your homework so that you have something to share with the group um, when you meet in your discussion group. And so if you do have to miss, uh, each week it's recorded, and so we ask that you listen to that online. Um, you can download the homework and the outline on there so that you can take notes as you listen at home. And if you are serving in Wellspring Kids, the weeks that you're serving, please come in and check in um, on the attendance and grab the homework and the outline and uh, then, then you can go and uh, help in the classroom with the kids. That way, you'll again, you'll be ready to share the next week when we come back again uh, to in your discussion group. So, all right, let, are there any, did you have a question? Um, I, that should, is that in there? I think Dina put it in there somewhere. It's not? Okay. Um, I think you'll check it, then check in at the table. There'll be tables right out there, and Dina will be there, and you can just check in with her, and she'll tell you what room. I think it'll be either the, the crawlers or the newborns. I think that's where they have the rotation mostly. So, all right, I want you to, let's look at our notebooks. Uh, on the front of the notebook, you will um, see that the name of our ministry is Wellspring. And that comes from Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So I don't know if you're familiar with the term wellspring, but that is, a wellspring is a head or a source of a spring or of a river. And it signifies a continual supply. So when Proverbs 23 tells us that we are to um, guard our hearts, um, well, when it, excuse me, when it says that our heart is the wellspring of life, it's saying that all of our life flows from the heart, from who we are. So it's the source of our motives, our desires, our intentions, our priorities. All of our actions flow from and they reveal what is already in our heart. So Scott's going to be talking more about that this morning, and we will talk about that all year long. So I want you to notice the logo on the front of the notebook because it can it conveys something. It, conve it conveys this continual flow of water 
from an unseen source. Just like everything that flows out of our life flows from our heart. So the logo also, if you'll notice, um, conveys what women's ministries here at Grace Bible Church is all about, and that always goes back to Titus 2. It's the idea of one generation pouring into another. And what we pour into others flows from our hearts. Again, that's why we need to so carefully and continually care for our own hearts well, because it doesn't just affect us, it affects others in the body. So as you look at that <clears throat> logo, and you'll see it probably on almost everything that's handed out to you, let it serve as a reminder to you of how crucial it is that we guard our hearts, as Proverbs 23 says, above all else. So that what we are pouring into others is good and pure and true and grounded in God's word and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's go ahead and um, for those of you who are new, turn your notebooks over. For those of you who are returning, in the packet with the paper clip, you'll see that we have, we've kind of reworded the disciplines a little bit um, this year. Uh, we just want to make sure that um, we wanted to be a little bit clearer in uh, what we want to communicate to you, the whole purpose of Wellspring. So um, every time we get together, we're going to go over our purpose and our disciplines. And uh, so let's just look at the purpose real quickly together now. Our purpose in being together each time is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God. And why do we do that? So that we live gospel-transformed lives. Thus, or the result of that, hopefully, will be that um, the church will be strengthened in its gospel purpose. So we um, pursue the wellspring purpose through, these, through three disciplines. And these disciplines are the framework that help us understand what God says in his word regarding the priorities of a woman who faithfully pursues him and his ways. So this is where we've changed them a, a little bit. So the first discipline is the heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. And again, we'll talk about that throughout the year. Discipline number two is the home. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on God in his word. And then discipline number three is ministry. With a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. So um, again, we're gonna, you'll hear these throughout the lesson. Scott will probably touch on them this morning. He may not mention discipline one, discipline two, discipline three, but I want you to be listen, listening for how they will tie into the whole purpose of Grace and Vision of Grace Bible Church. So let's go ahead and open up our notebooks. Um, for those of you who are returning, you can grab the, that packet that was handed out this morning. Um, so uh, the first thing that you'll see is uh, our schedule for the year. 
Um, as you can see, for the most part, we meet three weeks on and one week off. And part of that, too, is to help you as you plan to make appointments and things, make sure that you check the schedule. And if it, something needs to be scheduled for a Thursday, if you can, please uh, do that on a week that we are not meeting. As you can see, we're going to take a, a longer break in December, and then we'll return back in January. So if you would please mark those on your calendars, your personal calendars. We don't want you to miss when we're meeting, and we really don't want you to show up on a week that we're not meeting. Okay, That wouldn't make a very good discussion group if you're the only one here. So make sure that you mark that on your calendar, um, as well as the week that you're going to be helping in um, Wellspring Kids. So the next sheet that you'll see on there is um, a resource and our contact information. Um, so Saturdays is on the left, Thursdays is on the right. So if you need to contact Suzanne Blevins and me for any reason, please feel free to do that. And then under, underneath that, you'll, under, you'll uh, see the instructions for how to find and download the Wellspring audio and handouts. So the lesson is recorded each week. And I just remembered that Allie wanted me to remind you as I hear the click, click, clicking, that um, when we record it, a sound like the clicking of your notebooks, will um, it'll pick that up over whoever, what, whoever is teaching what they say. So it'll, it'll cover up the voices. So my fault, I should have mentioned that at the very beginning. So just be sensitive that when you get in, if you need to pull anything out, just pull it out before, before we get started. So um, it's just a very sensitive recording. But it, it will be recorded each week, and you'll get an email telling you that, it's, that everything is posted online, so you'll be able to um, download and print out the homework and the uh, outline as well. So again, if you have to miss, um, that'll show you how you can do that. And then if you turn the page, the next thing that we're going to talk about is the homework and the Bible reading. So let's first talk about the homework. And uh, if you even take out the one that's due next week that was in the second, not the one that was paper clipped together, but the other one. I know there are a lot of resources that were given out this morning. So the homework is going to have three components to it. The first one is looking back. And that's going to give us the opportunity to um, reflect on and apply the teaching that we've just heard that morning. So the looking day by day then, um, what is going to be ongoing encouragement so that we will uh, be encouraged to persevere in prayerfully meeting with God in his word daily. So that'll give you an opportunity to be able to, to write down some things that you have been learning as you are spending time in God's word. And then looking ahead will give us uh, different scripture verses to look up that will prepare us for the uh, next week, the week coming up lesson. And then some weeks you'll have a looking deeper question in there. That, and that's going to provide you just with some further study into a particular topic that will help you in... Um, something that, that will be helpful as you learn how to better care for, to shepherd your heart um, for your own benefit and others as well. So um, if I can just tell you, it really benefit you the most if you start your homework right away um, so that you'll have time to really reflect on the questions and um, really be prepared uh, when you come the next week. It's not going to be as helpful to you if you wait until 10 o'clock on Wednesday night. Okay, The homework is to benefit you, and it's really helpful to give yourself, pace yourself well dur during the week 
so that you really can think about the questions and not just get an answer down quickly. But we want to grow. The purpose is to spend time in God's word, to be thinking and learning. And so you will benefit the most there. Also, you'll see on the homework each week will be a memory verse to do with your children, or you don't have to have children. They're short verses to memorize, so it would be a great thing um, for you to do that. But if you can work with your kids on on that, they do go over those memory verses in class, so that'd be really helpful. And this should be a given, but I'm reminding myself as much as you that when you pull out your homework each week and you're ready to start, to stop and to pray and to ask God for help. We want to be humble as we come before him. Um, We want to be reminded of how much we need him and we need him to show us the areas where we need to grow. And uh, it's easy sometimes to just go, okay, I've got time, the kids are quiet, I'm gonna work on homework. But that's just a really important part that I don't want any of us, myself included, to miss, to remember to humble ourselves before God before we start that. I don't want the homework to become academic, Our goal is to grow in holiness, and uh, that isn't going to happen unless we are intentional. And I I just want to make sure that we all begin with a heart of humility and dependence on him. So the homework questions are written in such a way to help us evaluate our lives. Um, Your homework will be turned into your discussion group leaders each week. And the purpose in doing that is so that your discussion group leader will get to know you. She'll know how to encourage you. She'll know how to pray for you. Oftentimes you'll get it back. And I love the little notes of encouragement or scripture verses on the side that are just really, really helpful. So you will turn those in um, each week. So the homework, again, it's it's an important part. I know that a lot of you have young kids, so do your very best that you can. If you can't get to all of it, Maybe choose several of them that you think will be the most beneficial to you. Um, and again, I, I just I want you to rem- to remember that the homework isn't just for you. Because when we get in our discussion groups, I love learning from other people. Someone may share something that I never would have thought of. And so if we all come prepared um, with our homework done, or at least a good portion of it done, um, we'll just be able to, to learn and grow more from one another. So you'll see that there'll always be a date when that homework is due. Um, at, um, so um, this one will be due next week. And again, uh, don't wait till Wednesday night, especially that first part. For me, I think it's really helpful to right away, sometimes I even try and do it on Thursday afternoon when the lesson is fresh on my mind, to at least answer um, the first part of it so that I can, can think about how to apply the lesson. And then in addition to the homework, we ask um, that you make a commitment to meet daily in God's word. And uh, again, that's how we are going to grow in holiness, by prayerfully meeting with God in his word. And again, we'll talk a lot about that throughout the year. We want to be intentional about the way that we read God's word so that we know how to care for our hearts so that our time in God's word leads us to worship him. We don't want to just simply read. Um, we don't want to just to check off a box, but we want to be very intentional in our time with the Lord. And uh, so in Wellspring, we use a Bible reading plan to facilitate that um, in order to get into a routine, into a habit of doing this daily, not just for the next nine months that we're together, but uh, 
really the goal is to do this for the rest of our lives. So I wanna just quickly go over those plans um, in case you have never done that before. So the first one that you'll see is chronological. It's arranged in the order that the events took place. It starts in, in October, or you can actually buy a chronological Bible if that's easier for you, if you prefer to do that. Now, I personally love this plan. I try to do this once every five years. I just I think it's helpful to remember the, the order that events happened. But I do have to tell you that you are in the Old Testament for a long, long time. I kind of like the tension of that in a way, but it's also very difficult. So we will have out, maybe starting next week, a gospel primer. I don't know if all of you are familiar with that book, but it's it's the gospel. It's just it's small, um, just small readings of the gospel. And so for me, I think that that is a, a good book to re- to read alongside the chronological plan if you want to do that. And it's not like if you do that, you can't read the New Testament or the gospel, but it is written in the order that it happened. So. Um, the next one is 52 Weeks by Genre. So in other words, you read the Bible, uh, the whole Bible, one time in one year. So on Saturday, you'll read, uh, or so, sorry, Sunday you'll read an epistle, Monday you'll read the law, Tuesday history. So you'll get through the Bible in one year. So um, just so you know, as you're considering which one, in this particular one, there are some days where you will read, need to read six or seven chapters. So if you, this is a good season in life to do that, this would be a good plan, especially if you're in the prophets or um, some of the history books. Those will be longer days of reading. So you'll need a little bit of flexibility in your time if you choose that one. The next one is the McShane's reading plan. You'll be in four different parts of scripture each day. So you'll go through the Old Testament once throughout the year, and you'll go through Psalms, Proverbs, and the New Testament twice if you do that. So you'll, uh, there's about four chapters a day that you'll read if you choose that one. The next one is the Old and the New Testament. So you are in the both the Old and the New Testament almost every day. There are some days that uh, you'll just be reading in the Old Testament, but for the most part you'll be in both every day and uh, you'll read through the Bible one time. Um, so all of the Bible. So the New Testament and the Old Testament, you'll get through it in one year. The next one is the Discipleship Journal. Um, you'll always be in the Old and the New Testament. And again, you'll read everything just one time in a year. The schedule, the, this one is a little bit unique in that it, it the schedule is for 25 days each month. So it gives you five days of flex to either be able to catch up or if you need a little bit more time to um, catch up on Wellspring homework or maybe you have homework in your small group, if you're involved in a small group, there's a little bit of of, uh, flexibility there. And then the next one is the Blue Blue Letter Bible, and that's a two-year plan. There are no dates on it. So if you're one of those that you kind of freak out if you get behind in a date, um, that would be a good plan in... uh, so again, that one, you're in the New Testament and the Old Testament every every day. And then the next one, there's a form in there to actually make up your own plan. So say maybe you've done this, you've been reading through the Bible for 20 years, and you want to spend some time in one book, and so you can just plan that, and each time you go through a book, you can kind of schedule that out. Um, 
so these are uh, a lot of them. You can take them out, fold them up, use them as a bookmark in your Bible, and uh, use them that way. There are also lots of online resources and apps. Um, I personally love Logos because you can set up your own plan. And uh, so I like it because I can grab my phone, my iPad. It's, it's just always there. Um, so there are, are so many resources. Um, so just take advantage of them. I do want to remind you that most of these, except for the one that is a two-year plan, are written for a one for one year. Now, you may be in a season of life where you um, think about that and you just think instant failure. It's not going to happen. I'll get behind and I'll just get discouraged and I'll quit. That is the last thing that we want you to do. Okay, these are guides. Our goal is to be in God's word daily. So if you want to take one of these plans and you want to break it up into two years, even a little bit beyond that, if you're in a season of life where you will be consistent in doing that, then I'd encourage you to do that. Um, if you're able to read prayerfully, worshipfully, then choose one of those and break it down into smaller chunks. Okay, let's remember the goal. Again, it's not to check off a box. It's to prayerfully, worshipfully be in God's word. So pick a plan that will work for you that way. And if you have never done this before and you need some help in, in choosing a plan, see me, see Suzanne, talk to your discussion group leader, and we'd be happy to talk through that um, with you. Okay, again, just want you to, to remember the goal in that. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So our hearts need to be worshipfully and humbly engaged with God in his living and active word because we all need what that verse says to take place in our own hearts. And we need the whole counsel of God. It's easy to just read the same books of the Bible over and over. So that's why we really encourage a Bible reading plan because it will get us in all of the Bible. We need to be reminded of what God says of the whole counsel of God year after year after year. Of who God is, of how he sees us, of who we are, and uh, to be reminded of what he has done for sinners like me and like you. Um, I know, though, for me, that that doesn't just happen. It, it it takes planning, and so that's why we wanted to offer some plans for you. But again, it's not just about finishing a plan for nine months. This is about learning to develop a discipline of being in God's Word prayerfully, purposefully, and regularly. So if at any time that you find that you're really struggling, you feel like I've gotten so far behind I'll never be able to catch up, come talk to me, and I'll just encourage you. Um, talk to your discussion group leader. Again, our goal is to be in God's word. So the next thing that you'll see in um, your notebook are some resources. We've given those all to you, um, even those who are returning this year. We've put new tabs on them. There'll be times that we ask you to take those out and to look at them, but I also want you to know that those are resources for you to take out and look at on your own. I'll just mention the first one is the heart. The Bible has a lot to say about our hearts. And so I just encourage you to take those out, look up those verses on your own, um, 
and uh, that they'll just be really, really helpful. So those those are for you, and uh, um, so pull those out at any time. Maybe even as you're doing your homework, you might want to pull some of those out. So um, the morning will consist of you coming in, grabbing everything that you need in the back, and uh, Jenna will get us started. We'll have about an hour of teaching time, and then we will go to our discussion groups. So, again, you will see who, which discussion group and what room you're in. Um, what your discussion group, the time in there, the, you'll, the leaders will lead the group. They'll collect your homework. They'll pray for you. They'll encourage you. But I just want to end on this. Your discussion group leaders are great. I, I know you will be very, very encouraged by them. But if you look around this room, you will see a lot of women. And there are eight discussion group leaders that cannot possibly encourage everyone. And so can we just make it our goal that we will reach out to the women in this, in this room and that we will encourage one another. And you know, maybe share something that God taught you the, the morning that you've read. And let's just make it a group effort that we will care well for one another. So Scott is going to come up now and uh, talk about uh, how Wellspring fits into the vision and purpose of Grace Bible Church. Okay. Good morning, ladies. Come more to the middle if I can. It's good to see you. You need to have that worksheet that you picked up when you came in this morning. And um, we're going to think about what Grace Bible Church is about, and we're going to think about how Wellspring fits into what Grace Bible Church is about. And so um, as we get ready to look at God's Word, we should do this all the time. I hope you do it when you're reading your Bible. Um, studying your Bible, whatever. But before we look at God's Word, we should pray. It's a great way for us to acknowledge that we're in dependence on Him. And we need Him. Uh, this isn't like reading the uh, whatever kind of manual for whatever kind of gadget at home you're trying to figure out. This is God's Word. It's a little bit, a little deeper than that, isn't it? So let's pray. Let's ask for God's help, and then we'll dig in. Father in heaven, we do come before you, and our desire is to put ourselves in a right posture before you and under you with our Bibles open, Lord. And I pray that this would be the uh, long-standing practice of the women in this church, for all the believers in this church, but for these women, Lord, that they would, when your Bible gets opened up before their eyes, um, whether it's themselves opening it or somebody else, that they would humble themselves, that we would humble ourselves under your word, and that we would... Um, Come with eagerness for you to speak over our lives and um, that, God, we would control ourselves as we listen to your words and be careful with your words so that they might have their full effect in our own hearts and minds and that we would be changed as a result. So, Lord, give us understanding. Help us to not depend upon ourselves, but help us to look away from ourselves to you, our great God and Savior. We love you, we need you desperately, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, so what we get to do today at the beginning of your Wellspring season that you're starting, we're going to just talk about what the uh, biblical vision and gospel purpose of Grace Bible Church is. We have a statement that you see there at the top of your, your sheet. It's on our bulletins every Sunday, and it says there, a biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. So that's what we're kind of thinking of when we think of Grace Bible Church. And you're in Wellspring, and so we're going to try to talk about how that fits into all of that. So that requires for us to take a little bit of time and just talk about that statement. I want you to notice first, just at the top, that that biblical vision is pretty broad. We're talking about from one page on one side of your Bible to the other page, the last page on the other side of your Bible. That's the vision that we're trying to get. We're letting the whole Bible set our sights on what our sights must be set on. But then I want you to notice that gospel purpose is a little narrower. So it starts very broad as a statement, and then it becomes very narrow. And I want to explain to you, and we'll talk about it again in a little bit, what do we mean by a gospel purpose? In the Bible, um, lots of different men and people had a purpose from God under God's redemptive plan. You know this. Noah had a purpose, didn't he? We don't have Noah's purpose. God hasn't called you and me in Jesus Christ to build an ark. Okay? But Noah's purpose is in the Bible. But our purpose is under the gospel mission of Jesus Christ. Abraham was given a purpose by God to carry out. Absolutely crucial. You and I would not be here had he not done that. But he has not given you and me Abraham's purpose. We are not to leave a land, go to a new one, sojourn around for a while, and then be told that we're going to have lots of kids at some point, some way, somehow, someday. Okay, that, that's in the Bible, but that's not under our purpose. That's not our gospel purpose. Um, and we can keep going on. Moses had a purpose, but your purpose is not Moses' purpose. Um, David's purpose as, as king and a promise given to him about his sons being on the throne for a long time and an ultimate son of David coming, that's not our purpose. Our purpose is, has been confined very narrowly by Jesus himself. We are his disciples. That doesn't mean we don't pay attention when we're reading Moses. And it doesn't mean that we don't pay attention when we're reading about David. We do. We love the God of those men. He's our God. And we read those things, but our purpose comes from Jesus Christ in his good news and the mission of the gospel. And so that's where we're going to kind of start. That gives you a, a, an intro to it. It starts really broad. We're going to use the whole Bible to set our sights and our vision. And then we're going to narrow ourselves down to the gospel purpose of Jesus Christ. Okay? So let's start with number one, a biblical vision of God. What do, what do we mean by that? By the word vision, we want to be very specific. I want to be really clear on this. We, we want to see the God of the Bible with the eyes of our hearts. Um, that vision of him comes only, 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 only through the Bible. We don't go off hoping that we'll have some kind of a personal vision of our own about what God is like. I just read a, a, a blog this morning or somebody had linked to a blog of somebody who had talked about a vision that they had had of what God was saying he was going to do. And he was giving a, a, a Revelation 2.0. And by that, I mean, we have the Bible, but then he just got a vision from God. And that is 2.0 version of this. And we can't really move forward as Christians in America until we have what his vision was that he said. We're not talking about anything like that. 
we are very satisfied with the sufficiency of this vision right here that this provides. We see by the scriptures. We see our world through the scriptures. We want to see God by these words. That is the vision we have. We want to set our sights on him and see him by those scriptures. And so what do these scriptures set our eyes on? We have, um, as you see in that biblical statement up above, or our vision and purpose statement, there's two different triads. Um, A biblical vision of God, we try to summarize with this triad. The glory of God, the cross of Christ, and life transformation by the Spirit. So this is our uh, inadequate way of trying to summarize what the Bible is all about. If anybody asked you, what's the Bible all about? You'd, you'd be wrestling for things to say and you would not be able to say everything because the safest answer when somebody says, what's the Bible all about is just to go here. Just read this be, because you can't leave anything out, but you have to when you're trying to summarize it. And so this three part statement leaves all kinds of stuff out, but it's one way of trying to summarize what the message of the Bible is. It's about the glory of God which eventually leads to the cross of Christ, which for you and me means life transformed by the Spirit. That's one of the messages of the Bible, one way to summarize the Bible. So let's talk about first the glory of God. What do these scriptures set our eyes on? And I like this. This is a good place to start. Um, One of the main central themes, if not the central theme of scripture, is the glory of God. It's the glory of God. What is this book all about? It is about God and all of his greatness. Um, the word glory in the Bible is a word that's like most words has lots of flexibility. It can mean a lot of different things. Um, context gets to determine its meaning. But what we mean by it here is God's glory. In particular, when, that, when you come across those kinds of passages, that word glory in those contexts means this. Okay? God's weightiness. He's heavy. In fact, that's what the Old Testament word means for God's glory. Heavy. God is heavy. He is weighty. He is impressive. He is overwhelming. There is splendor about him. That's the glory of God. He is not some lightweight. He's heavy. And often tied with his glory in the Old Testament, that overwhelming presence that he displays, oftentimes with it comes radiant light. So it is his overwhelming presence nature communicated through brilliance communicated through radiant light Moses saw that radiant light up on the mountain and he came down and he didn't know that his face was what shining he had absorbed that radiant weightiness of God expressed through light and it was coming forth from him to the people and it scared the people he veiled himself to cover it up So there's a sense in which God uses his glory. He used his glory in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, you'll see. He used his glory, his weightiness to communicate something about himself, to reveal himself to people. Um, Here's what we do know. Exodus 33, 20. uh, Moses was told by God, no man can see me and live. John 1, 18 John says, no one has seen God at any time. And the proof of that is that they're still alive. Because you and I are not in a form and in a condition by which we can take on the full nature and full capacity of who God is and survive it. But 
in the Old Testament, what God did at different times, and even through Jesus in the New Testament, at times, he revealed something of himself. His overwhelmingness was communicated through his glory. So one of the ways that God communicated himself to Moses, to the parents of Samson, and and to David and others in the Old Testament, and the prophets, Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, is he communicated something of himself through his weightiness, and there was oftentimes brilliant, splendid light coming and bursting forth. Moses was dropped to his knees by that glory, that weighty, impressive, radiant form. Man can soak that in and survive, but man cannot take in the full nature of who God is and survive it. To show you that your Old Testament is about the glory of God as much as the New Testament is, uh, you could take some of these passages and pair them together. Exodus 33 and Luke 9, 28 to 36. You can look these up on your own. So Exodus 33 and Luke 9, 28 to 36. Uh, One is Moses on a mountain before the glory of God. Luke 9 is um, Jesus with a few disciples up on a mountain, and all of a sudden Jesus' face becomes brighter than the sun. And Moses shows up. So you got Moses on a mountain, glory of God in the New Testament. You got Moses on a mountain again, glory of God in the face of Jesus. And Elijah shows up. So you've got the law and the prophets, Moses and a prophet there. Uh, the Old Testament speaking to, eager to be with the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I mean, it's tied to get us not an accident in your Bible. Okay. So the glory of God found there another pairing from the old Testament to the new, you can put Isaiah six, right? With Isaiah seeing the, the, the radiant glory of God in heaven and with his glory flowing like a, a robe filling up the, 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 the chamber there in heaven. And you can pair that with John twelve thirty seven through 41, where John tells us that Isaiah saw the glory of God and what he saw was the glory of Messiah Jesus. So from your Old Testament to the New Testament, the glory of God is a central theme that you'll find everywhere. I encourage you as you read your Bible, Chris talked about a Bible reading plan. One of the things that you can do is take a piece of paper and slip it in your Bible or you make note in your digital way that you do it. And, and catalog every time you see a reference to the glory of God. You'll also see David say, uh, you are my glory and you are the lifter of my head. Um, you make my glory great. Glory is a very flexible term and a king of Israel had weightiness, had his own degree of impressiveness. And his impressiveness came from God, he says. So make a list of every time you see the word glory, you'll by the end of the year or the three years it takes you to get through the Bible, whatever it is you'll have a much better understanding of the glory of God. So what difference should this make every day? I want to ask that on every single one of these triads. What difference should this make every day? It should be this. Number one, just position yourself daily to drink that glory of God in before the Bible. Before you rush off and do anything, draw near to these words so that you can see the glorious God of these words who is in these words. I know that the desire of your heart, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is you want to go out into your day and you want to glorify God, right? That's where you take it and you take that word and you turn it into a verb and you're like, that means I want to praise him because he's worthy, he's impressive, he's glorious. But how can you glorify God if you don't first just drink in what is impressive about him? Be a worshiper first who's just trying to get filled up with the weighty overwhelmingness of God. 
then you will find that you are fueled and ready to go to glorify God in your marriage, in your parenting, in your uh, interaction at work, wherever you are, wherever God has you. Our cry each day needs to be very similar to Moses' cry on the mountain in Exodus 33. He said, show me your glory. You need to read Exodus 33 today sometime. Um, Moses was desperate to see God's glory. Um, Are you? Do you want to be that person? That's what this year needs to be about, is that you're desperate to see the glory of God. And that position, Moses, well, once he came down the mountain and went among the people to glorify God, and it will well position you also. So don't rush off to glorify God by skipping over what's glorious about him. Drink that in first. Let's talk next about the glory of God moving to the cross of Christ. What do the scriptures set our eyes on? Um, obviously, one of the major climaxes in the Bible, if not the most ultimate climax in the Bible, is the death of God the Son. How is Christ's death at the cross related to God's glory? Well, the weightiness of God, the impressiveness of God, that radiant brilliance of God in Scripture is inseparably tied to the blood that is shed by a substitute for the worshiper. That statement will stand over the Old Testament and that statement will also stand over the New Testament. Right? The weightiness of God, the glory of God is inseparably tied to the blood of a substitute that is shed for a worshiper. Is that true in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Is that true in the New Testament? It's true for me today and it's true for you, but we know the name of our substitute, don't we? His name is Jesus. They didn't know that in the Old Testament, but they relied on a substitute's blood as a worshiper to draw near the God of glory. Now think about the, the story of the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, God in all of his glory takes Moses, grabs Israel, redeems them out of Egypt, brings them through the Red Sea, brings them out to the desert, stops in front of a mountain, and all of a sudden that huge mountain is enveloped in a cloud of glory and lightning is flashing. The, the, that mountain is quaking and shaking and trembling under the weightiness of God, the splendor of God, the overwhelming nature of God. It's, it, he's enveloping a mountain. Moses is called to go up there. He goes up there and he gets some notes from God on what to do. And God says, all of your tents are down there My glory is overwhelming this mountain. And what I want you to do now is I want you to go down there among all of your tents and I want you to make me a tent and I'm going to dwell in it. And you should just be like, what? How do you take what is enveloping a mountain in all of his overwhelming nature? How do you put it in a tent? And yet that is exactly what God says he wants Moses to do. And so Moses writes down the copy of what that tent is supposed to look like. And he comes down into that tent. And in Exodus 40, at the end, he goes through all of the instructions. He takes the blood of this animal. And he takes the blood of that animal. And he sprinkles it on altars. And he sprinkles it on priests. And he puts it all over everything. And so the glory of God that is going to come and dwell in that temple or that tent won't even do it until there is blood shed to set it apart for him. So do you see that God ties his glory, what is impressive about him, to the shed blood of a substitute. And of course, 
all of that is a picture that makes us just anticipate, I got to get to the New Testament. I got to get to Jesus because he's the Lamb of God whose blood is shed to take away not just the sin of Israel, but the sin of the world for all who believe in him. So God fuses together his glory and a substitute's blood, and that reached a revelational climax in the Bible where the ultimate substitute shed his blood for the glory of God. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18. Let's turn there. And we'll try to walk through this just a little bit. Hebrews 9, verse 18. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. That's what we just talked about, right? Uh, An old covenant was made with Moses and Israel uh, that God made with them. And in order to get it going, in order for Israel to be able to worship God in this tent and kick off this whole new relationship, it had to be inaugurated with blood. He says in verse 18, for when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all of the people, according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and of the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop. And he sprinkled both the book itself and all of the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant, which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law. Um, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's what the Old Testament believer believed. Forgiveness of sin for me is not possible unless somebody's blood is shed. Some, an innocent blood is shed. My blood can't be shed and secure my forgiveness. It must be somebody who's innocent from the sins that I've committed against a holy God. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these. Now, full stop. If you read Exodus, you'll find out that indeed what God said is this tent pattern, it's the copy of what is really in heaven. So God's full presence, an unfiltered presence in some kind of a worshipful holy place in heaven, the holy of holies of heaven He says, here's going to be a pattern for that. I'm going to give you a copy of it and make a tent. That's what happened. The copies of these things in the heavens had to be cleansed. um, But the heavenly things themselves were better sacrifices than these. For Christ, for Messiah, did not enter a place made with with hands, a mere copy of the true one. But he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You see, he didn't have to have his blood shed in the temple in Jerusalem when he came. Because he wasn't trying to get into that temple to make things right. He was making a way into the ultimate and final and greatest temple, the one of heaven. He appears in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he, verse 25, would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been revealed. He's been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You see, that's what shed blood does. The shed blood of Jesus. He sheds his blood and it puts away sin. It removes sin out of the sight of God. And that glorifies God. 
Verse 27, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many. He's coming again, but he's not going to shed his blood the next time. He's coming to get us. We're waiting for him. So Old Testament type, Leviticus 16, the day of atonement, right? Taking the sin of Israel out of the camp on the goats on the goat that is set loose and the other goat sheds its blood. New Testament teaching, Hebrews 9, and an abundance of other places. Um, Jesus shed his blood to expiate our guilt, to take it away from the sight of God. He shed his blood to propitiate God's wrath. That means to satisfy God's wrath. He shed his blood to reconcile us to God so that we could be forgiven. Listen, When you go to the mechanic and the mechanics are talking to each other, working on your car, and they use words like carburetor, (coughs) transmission, and stuff like that, do you, what are they doing? That's so dumb. No, is there a vocabulary among mechanics? Those of you who have, have husbands as engineers and stuff like that, do they have their own vocabulary that you don't get? Do you say, that's stupid, don't talk that way to each other? That's not very inclusive. That's not very helpful for people to understand. No, engineers have their own vocabulary. Mechanics have their own vocabulary. Christians have their own vocabulary. Don't be ashamed of words like expiation, propitiation, theology, penal substitutionary atonement. Those are our words, and you don't be ashamed of using words like that. Now, look, don't go to Starbucks and say, I'd like a pumpkin spice latte. And by the way, is your guilt expiated? Okay, I understand. When you're talking to you, the, the, the mechanic needs to change his vocabulary for you. I get that. But we need to do that to some degree, but not when we're together. These are our words, and we love these words. They are in the Bible. We love these words. Love these words about Jesus' death and what he accomplished for us. Now, what difference should this make every day for you and me? How about this? The substitutionary death of Jesus on our behalf ought to be what we boast in every day. Didn't Paul say that? Galatians chapter 4, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, may it never be that I would boast. Okay, I can think of a reason why I would boast, except in this, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul is saying, I'm only going to boast on one thing, and it's that thing that changed my relationship with the world. The world died to me, and I died to the world because of his shed blood in my place. I'll boast in that. So come to the word of God to drink in this shed blood of Jesus over and over and over because you are not who you once were. Right? Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, I determined to know nothing among you except what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's your message. You got a lot of things that are really important to say that need to be said, but there's one thing that if you live your whole life and you never say, you missed it. And that is Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins. That's the difference it should make. So fill your heart up. Every day so that you are overflowing with this death of Jesus on your behalf. Because you know what? Today, you're going to sin. You already have. And you need to be ready and positioned to have an answer for your own heart and mind. To answer that, what do I do with my sin? 
And you're going to come across instances in the day where you're going to do really well. You're going to do something righteous that is pleasing in the eyes of God. And the cross of Jesus helps you make sense of that. You know where that came from. It didn't come from you. It came from Christ in you. And you're going to come across a child who's probably going to desperately need encouragement because they're collapsing under the weight of guilt of their own sin. If mommy hasn't drunk in the glory of God in the cross of Jesus Christ, what are you going to say? You want to be a good parent? You've got to be filled up with the cross of Jesus Christ and his death in the gospel. You have to. You're going to come across another child who's going to be very impressed with their ability to do what is righteous. And you need to be filled up with the gospel so you understand how to deal with that too. So come and drink in the glory of God in the cross of Christ for your own soul's sake, but you're going to need it with others as well. Number three, lastly in this little triad here, the transformation of life by the Spirit. So as you look at the Bible, we're trying to set our sights on the glory of God, we're trying to set our sights on the cross of Christ, and we're trying to set our sights on the Spirit in that He changes our life. If I asked you the question, I think you have it there in your notes, what is the primary role of the Holy Spirit? If you pulled all of your Christian friends, if you do this on Facebook. No, don't do it on Facebook. Imagine somebody doing this on Facebook. Just posing this question for everybody to answer. What is the primary role of the Holy Spirit? Oh my goodness. Who knows what you would get? But here's the main thing. The Holy Spirit births you in Christ. You are born again. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to make what is dead alive. And the primary role of the Holy Spirit in that then is to apply the work of Jesus Christ at the cross to the one that God is saving. What did Jesus say to the Pharisee that met him in the middle of the night? What did he say to him? You're the teacher of Israel and you don't know that you need to be born again? What are you doing with my people? And he talked about the Spirit. You see, being born again and what the Spirit does is not a New Testament. It's not something you find only in the New Testament. Jesus expected Nicodemus to be able to teach that to Israel from the Old Testament. That you must be born of the Spirit. It's the primary role of the Spirit is to cause new birth. The Spirit powerfully separates us from the penalty of sin against us. So the Spirit of God takes the finished work of Jesus at the cross... And he applies it to the life of the one who is trusting in Christ. And in doing so, he separates the penalty that is against that sinner from the one who is saved. The Spirit powerfully separates us from the penalty of sin against us. The Holy Spirit then seals the believer. Uh, Ephesians 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He's the pledge of our inheritance. We then look forward to the guarantee that is ours, that is heaven, in, pres- in being in the presence of Jesus forever. But we're not there yet. But it's a pledge. It's a guarantee. It's as good as ours. And the Spirit does that. And the Spirit then powerfully preserves us and reserves us for that day when we'll be completely freed from sin. The Spirit powerfully enables us right now to fight against sin in our lives. And that brings about an amazing transformation of life. So let me try to summarize it this way. Let's go past, present, future. If, you think, if, you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you could look to your past and you could say, without the Holy Spirit in my past causing me to be born again, 
I wouldn't be here. Right? I was born again by the Spirit. Look at my past, and that's what I see. Let's look to the future. The only way you're going to get to everything that's been in, that, that is your inheritance and that is guaranteed for you is that the Spirit of God is, has pledged himself that it is yours. I promise it will be yours. You're going to get there. And then you could stand here in the present and look back on your past and think, the Spirit was amazing in my past, and the Spirit is amazing for my future. But the primary role of the Holy Spirit in all of this is even involving now that you have the ability by the Spirit of God to fight against indwelling sin. That's your sanctification process. So you were converted, you will be glorified, and you'll get everything that's been promised to you. And right now, by the same Spirit, you are being sanctified. Romans 8, Galatians 5, great passages on these type of things. And all of that is an amazing transformation of life. You were dead, you were brought to life. You are now becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. In fact, 2 Corinthians 3.18, you are being transformed from one level of glory to the next, and all of this by the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, what God is doing with you in your life right now is he's taking you and he's transforming you by degrees. And each degree has its own weightiness and its own glory. One is more impressive than the other. It's a progressive sanctification process you're going through. And ultimately, one day, you'll reach that final and most glorious transformation, which is heaven in the presence of Christ. Okay? So that's the story and the message of the Bible. The glory of God reaching a culmination in the cross of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God taking all of that and changing you and me. There's the message of the Bible. Does that leave out stuff? A lot. But it's one way of summarizing it. What difference should it make for you in regards to the transformation of life by the Spirit? You know what? Every day, position yourself before the Bible to see your need for the Spirit. You need the Spirit. You probably don't need the Spirit in a way that a lot of people say that you need the Spirit. Um, There's a lot of ideas out there about what the Spirit does. But you need the Spirit for this. You open your Bible, and one of the things that you can say is, Spirit of God, I, I need you to continue this transformation process today. Thank you for my past. Thank you for the guarantee of the future. And please, I'm dependent on you today. I need you. Plead for the fullness of, of the Spirit in your life for that. All right, so there's your biblical vision. Uh, for what Grace Bible Church is all about, the glory of God and the cross of Jesus Christ for the transformation of life by the Spirit. Do you notice it's Trinitarian, or we're trying to be Trinitarian, setting our sights on God? Now, let's talk about the last half of that statement. Number two, our gospel purpose in Christ. And again, this is a very narrow um, purpose that God has given to us. We have a gospel mission purpose in Jesus Christ, right? Now, as you get to the New Testament and you start reading the four different gospel accounts, it appears that Jesus had um, three primary overlapping complementary gospel activities for his disciples. Um, this is one way of summarizing the gospels of what Jesus was doing with his disciples and what he was doing with people. And so we have a triad here as well to help us think about what this gospel mission purpose is. There's drawing in, there's building up, and there's being sent out. So once you become a disciple, you are drawn in, you are then to be built up as a disciple, and then you are to be sent out as a disciple. That's one way of summarizing the gospel mission of Jesus Christ for you and me. 
So let's talk first about number one, drawing in. I got a blank for you to fill in there. As you can see, drawing in is uniquely God's sovereign saving work. It's good to make a distinction on that at the beginning. John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus made that pretty clear. He said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Same chapter, John 6, verse 65. And Jesus was saying, for this reason, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the father. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 48. I want you to see this. Paul is on his first missionary journey. He's preaching in a Asia Minor, he's in Pisidian Antioch, he's giving an explanation of the gospel in the synagogue, the Jews are rejecting him, and this is one of the most profound statements made, Acts 13 verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began, and that's Paul saying, um, we're turning away from you Jews because you're rejecting Messiah, Um, and when the Gentiles heard that Paul was turning to the Gentiles, They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. God is the one who is the primary drawer, saver of sinners. We do not draw ourselves in. We can't look back at that new birth and say, man, wasn't that great how I got born again by my own doing. You can't look at anybody else who's human. You can only look to God. So drawing in is first and foremost not primarily about what we do in programming as a church, okay? It's about what God does. Although, do we get an amazing opportunity to participate with him? Absolutely, we do. So drawing in is therefore not primarily about us. It's not about us developing a program or an outreach ministry or an outreach event and getting people to fill seats, It's not primarily about that. We're not just trying to draw in attenders, right? Drawing in is accomplished when, what? When God savingly converts a sinner. That's the drawing in we're after. Is that not the drawing in you're after as a parent? Or are you just trying to draw your child to you so they like you? I mean, look, that's, that's got, some days you'd be thinking, it'd just be great if my kid just liked me, right? And that, 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 I'm not saying that doesn't have advantages, but that's, that you don't lay your head down at night and go, I'm satisfied they like me now. I know they're going to go to hell, but they like me. That's not satisfying. What are we looking for? We're not satisfied until God savingly draws in the one that he's saving. So we're not satisfied for men or women or boys and girls to merely attend the things that we're doing. We're satisfied when repentance and faith occurs. And that is what we labor diligently for. So drawing in is uniquely God's sovereign, saving work that we get to participate in. We have a role in that, no doubt. Um, Two more blanks for you to fill in next. Jesus crucified is God's powerful object of attraction. All right, so God is the one who has to draw them in. What is it that he uses to draw them in? It's the gospel. It's Jesus crucified. Uh, Look at John chapter 12, verse 32. John chapter 12, verse 32. Jesus said this, If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And what he's referring to, verse 33, he was saying this to indicate the kind of death 
by which he was to die, a death on the cross. When he is lifted up from the earth on a cross, shedding his blood, that's what will be the power that will draw sinners to himself. Um, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. The word of the cross is the power of God. The word of the cross is the gospel. It's the, it's the good news of a substitute shedding his blood in the place of those that God is saving. Drop down to um, verse 22. Indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's a stumbling block to Jews and to Gentiles. It's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. What has power to draw someone in? It's the cross of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the gospel. Chapter 2. When I came to you, Paul said, uh, Brethren, I didn't come with superiority of speech or wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Do you know why? Because he knew if he sounded eloquent, that has no power. Paul didn't come trying to be fancy or flashy or sound eloquent. That, because he knows that is powerless. For I determined, verse 2, to know nothing among you except Christ crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So I was weak. I had fear. I was trembling. But my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. But my preaching was a demonstration of the spirit and what? Power. Power. What difference should this make in you? That if this is one of the activities that Jesus has for disciples, what difference should this make every day? At least this. Only put before dead sinners that which has power to draw them out of the grave. Right? Put before a dead sinner only that which has power to draw them out of their grave. Welcome to Parenting 101. There's a lot of things you're after with parenting as a mom, with your husband. But I tell you, one of the things that you've got to be after in your parenting is putting before those who need a Savior, the Savior. There's lots of things we can put before sinners. Friendship. You can put friendship before a sinner. But friendship doesn't have the power to make a dead sinner alive with God. Getting a a sinner to attend a church service doesn't have power. Now, is it important for us to befriend sinners? Absolutely. How important was it in your life, in your own conversion, for a believer to befriend you and then open their mouths? That is huge. I'm not trying to say that it doesn't matter. But you weren't converted by the power of friendship. And neither was I. You and I were converted by the gospel, by the power of the gospel. And how important was it for you to attend some kind of an event or religious message, you know, the message of the gospel being preached? I went to a concert and the music was terrible. And the guy who was, the band that was playing, in between songs, he shared the gospel. I don't remember anything he said. But I remember what he said in between. Was it important for me to be at that event? 
Was it important for you to be at church? Was it important for you to be sitting in a family devotion with your mom and your dad or whatever? Whatever your situation was, was it important for you to be there? Yes, but th- that didn't have the power. There's no power in being an attender. The power is in the gospel. What does Paul say in Romans 1.16? I am not ashamed of what? The gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he sovereignly saved you through his son's death in your place, and that was proclaimed to you, or you read it, or you heard it. So listen, if an unbeliever is, re- if you're reaching out to an unbeliever and they really enjoy their friendship with you, give that its proper weight. That's not evil. That's good. But give it its proper weight. It doesn't have power. And don't go home and, and think, I'm, man, I, I hang out with unbelievers and, and they like me. No, weep until they are born again. Right? So drawing in is uniquely God's saving work. Number two, let's talk about building up. And by the way, drawing in, building up, and sending out. These are not like first grade, second grade, and third grade. First grade is something you complete, and Lord willing, you never go back and do again, right? So when you're in second grade, you don't think, oh, i got to do first grade again, right? So these three are not that way. It's not like you were drawn in, and you never participate with drawing in again. And it's not like once you're built up, look, I've graduated from building up. Thanks for trying to keep building me up. But I'm now on to being sent out. No, these things, these three activities are overlapping. They are impossible to separate. One of the best ways that Jesus trained his disciples, one of the best ways he built them up was by sending them out. So being sent out is a great way to be built up. And you can't be built up without being sent out and so forth. Now, what I want to say to you about building up here is, is to get you to think about this. You must be built up personally as well as the entire body of Christ called Grace Bible Church. Both of those building ups need to take place. So turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Ephesians 4, verse 16. And I think, I think I'm going to put this up on the board if I can. I think I have enough time to do this. Okay. I'm going to be using the NAS because I don't know why anybody else would want to use any other. I'm just kidding. Um, I use NAS because I, I'm, I'm used to its peculiarities, and most of you use ESV, I'm sure, and that's why I pray for you. But um, just the whole, so I'm using the NAS. The whole body, causes the growth of the body. Okay. The reason I put that up on the board is because that is the main idea of verse 16. Okay? Talking about, in this, in this section of chapter 4, Paul is talking about how Jesus gave gifts to uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers and so that they can equip the saints for the work of service so that the body can be built up. So the body he's talking about is the church. It's the body of Christ. And by the time he gets to verse 16, he makes very clear that the goal that God is after is that the whole body, the church, causes the growth of the church. Now just think on that for a minute. That's counterintuitive. That's probably not what you would think. But God's point and what God has done with the body of Christ is he's made it this spiritual thing in such a way 
that the whole body, all of it, not parts of it, but the whole body, when it is together, it has the ability to cause the growth of the body. Now, everything else that is said in verse 16 fleshes that out. So let's take them one piece at a time. How does it start off? At least in the NAS, it's from whom, and that is him, and that is Jesus. Okay, this is from him. This is his doing. The only way that the body will cause the growth of the body is if it comes from him to do that. So it's from Jesus. Okay. Now, by the way, where are you right now? You're not really specifically identified anywhere. In other words, Jesus is thinking very corporally right now. He's thinking about a body. He's not saying eyelashes and eyebrows and ears and nose and things like that. Yeah, it's there, but you don't exactly know where. You, you kind of lose sight of the tree for the forest right now, right? All right? So that's from him. What else do we have? How about this? Being fitted and held together. We'll leave it there for now. So now, now, we're, now we're starting to get down a little more nitty-gritty. We have a whole body, and it's being fitted, and it's being held together. Oh, so now there are parts, not haven't got to it yet, but they're being fitted and held together. In other words, the only way this is going to work is if the body doesn't fragment. As soon as the body fragments, there's no more body causing the growth of the body. Okay? Well, how are we being fitted and held together? Watch this. By what? Every joint supplies. And that's probably not a great translation, but it's by what every point of connection supplies. The idea with this word supplies is power. And this is, the idea of joint is, is the word connection. Okay? So what he's saying is the holy way that this is fit and held together is if at the point of contact between pieces, there's a power supply there. So that tells you how the body causes the growth of the body because you have to put pieces together. And he has designed us in such a way that when your life touches another life in the body, there is a supply of power. And in so doing, it holds the body together and it causes the growth of the body. Well, how does this happen? Well, this only happens when what? According to... the proper working... of each individual... Where are you? There you are. Okay. Now, what's the what's the point? We're not done with the verse yet. But what's the point? Can this big idea of what he's going after? He wants to build up the body of Christ. That's what he wants to put on display in the world is mature bodies of Jesus Christ that gather in different locations. That's what he wants to put on display. Can that happen if you're malfunctioning? No. What if the only thing that you ever think about is your own personal individual being built up? 
but you are never really thinking and connecting yourself up to here. Will it happen? No. We are an individualistic driven country and culture. Primarily the one thing that you think about when you think about being built up is you probably only think about I have to be built up. I have to be built up. And you know what? The message here today and this part of the message is not stop that. What's the message? Yes. And what? Connect yourself to the body. You've got to be plugged into Grace Bible Church. And if it's not here, let us help you get plugged into somebody somewhere. Because that's what God is after in this world. Local gatherings of believers of Jesus in Jesus Christ gather together, and he has made them so that when they are functioning according to the way that they're supposed to, when they put their lives next to each other, there's a supply of power which then helps the body be fitted and held together, and then the body can cause the growth of the body, and God is glorified. So the point is, is you have to be everything that God desires you to be. And this is the building up of itself, what, in love? I'm just going to put the word down here. How can you do all of this if we don't love each other, right? We have to be set apart and marked by love. Right? Look up at chapter 4, verse 12. In Ephesians. Uh, verse 11. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. See, the church didn't even exist until God did give apostles and prophets and evangelists who went out and pastors and teachers. And all of that was happening so that the body of Christ, the church, could be formed. And all that was for the equipping of the saints. There you are. You need to be equipped. But why? Look. Look again. It's not just about you. For the equipping of the saints for what? The work of service. See, there's work you need to do that's a part of your service. Why? To what end? To the building up of the body of Christ. You see, God is thinking bigger than you are when you think about being built up. He's thinking about his son's body on earth. And he's thinking about you. So what's the goal in being built up? Think about both. You must become everything that God desires you to be as a woman of God. You have to be. Because... He wants your life to come up against the lives of other people in the body so that the body can grow and be seen to be the glorious thing that it is in this world. You have to be built up. So how much, what difference should this make for you? How much have you focused on both of those dimensions? And I would say your involvement in a local church probably reveals that one way or the other. Right? So... You want to be as plugged in as possible. If you need to get, by, by being in here, you're getting plugged in at Grace Bible Church, and that's great. If you need more help, let us know. We'd love to help you find a small group and get connected that way. Let's talk about the last part of the triad, sending out. So the gospel mission activity that you and I are about is drawing in, building up, and sending out. I want you to grasp this progression of thought and truth in the Bible. God has always been ascending God. As you read through your Bible, you will see this. He sent Moses. Moses wasn't crazy about being sent, tried to give a lot of excuses. God sent him anyway. Um, God sent Isaiah after he had the vision in chapter 6. He says, whom shall we send? And Isaiah had been so prepared by what he saw, he said, send me. Now, we hope we don't hear what he heard, and that is, though, I'm sending you to them, and they won't listen. Nobody wants to be sent to people who won't listen. 
But that's unfortunately the nature of it sometimes. Jeremiah was sent. Ezekiel was sent by God. John the Baptist was a man who was sent by God. So what does that tell you about God? What, kind of, what is our God like? One of the things that you could say is he's ascending God. That's just what he does. Secondly, Jesus Christ was sent by his sending father. He sent himself in his son. And read through the Gospel of John and see how many times Jesus referred to himself as sent or as a sending one. I did not come to do the will of him. I did not come to do my own will, but the will of him who what? Sent me. He says that over and over and over and over. So God is a sending God and he even sent the second member of the Godhead. And the Holy Spirit was sent too. Jesus in his last night with his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16 makes three very important statements about the Spirit of God. One time he says, the Father will send the Spirit. The next time he says, I will send the Spirit. So the Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Father sends the Spirit. This is ascending God. So when that God takes you and saves you, ascending God saves you, And he puts you in Christ and Christ in you and that sent spirit in you. How can you not also be a sent one? The idea that God is a sending God and I'm really okay with that. But when he saved me, I don't want to be sent. You got some work to do in your heart with the word of God that no, you don't understand how it works. He's on a mission. God is. And now because he saved you, so are you. And you are a sent one as well. Um, how should you see yourself? You should see yourself. This is the difference it makes. What, what should this make today? For you, when you open your Bible, I am a sent one. I'm a sent one of Jesus Christ. I'm a sent one of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's as much your identity in Christ as being a child of God. Right? Just don't pick and choose which identities you want to cling to. (laughs) Cling to them all, right? I'm a child of God and I'm a sent one. Uh, In the New Testament, as it unfolds in Acts, we find out that those sent ones are called witnesses. People who will testify of Jesus Christ to others. Um, Stephen was a sent one. Paul was a sent one. So see yourself as a sent one. When you wake up and you hear those little voices in your home, you think, I'm a sent one today into this household with these people. That's what God has me here for as a disciple of Jesus. I'm sent to these things. That's parenting 102. Okay? Not only do I need the gospel, but I'm a parent who's sent with the gospel. Right? See yourself as sent into your own household. Uh, Do you you work part-time? Do you work full-time? You're a sent one there. You are. And it's a brilliant evangelism program that no elder here could ever be so smart to come up with that you would every day go to work with the same people and see those same gnarly people every day. Right? That you would live in the neighborhood that you live in, that you would see the same people for how many years and you would interact with them all the time. That you would be sent to that same um, club soccer thing that's the same kids that you've been with all these years swimming whatever it is that your, your kids do that's a brilliant evangelism program that God has set up it's called the rhythm and the pattern of your life you'll see them five, six, maybe seven days a week how does a church program better than that? 
no, you guys stop. You'll need to get off work early and come here every day because we've got a soup kitchen. You know, should a church do that? I'm not saying that's a bad thing to do. But what we're trying to invest you in and encourage you towards is be faithful to the rhythm and pattern of life that God determined for you as a sent one. You've got plenty to capitalize on. And you know what? We should program more too. But don't miss the opportunities around your knees, these little ones in your household, the the big kid called your husband who needs a lot of help. Be sent in his life. Uh, your kid's school. Get plugged into your kid's school. Um, encourage your husband and you to coach a team for your kids. Be with your kids and be with the other families that come and get involved with whatever's going on in your block parties. Be there all the time. What a brilliant evangelistic program for sent ones. It's hard to beat that. As we finish this up, what's the relationship between these three drawing in, uh, drawing in, building up, and sending out? It, it's that the gospel is central to each one of them, right? You take the gospel out of any one of these three, and they are no longer what they are. That's why it's a gospel mission purpose. It is a gospel-driven drawing in. We, we made that clear that you are not drawn in apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. How do you get built up without the gospel? Take the gospel away and, and you and I start to wither and die. Um, what would you say if you were a sent out one if you didn't say Jesus Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins? What would you be doing? Right? So the gospel is central to all of those things. And again, just a reminder that all of those can be accomplished at the same time in your ministry. While you're parenting, you are drawing in and you are building up and you are being sent out. Living as a sent one right there. When you come to church, um, you are, if you're a part of MGM and certain ministries, maybe even in your small group, there's, there's probably drawing in, building up and sending out, going on right there. All of these things are overlapping all of the time. Okay? Now, the question then is, after looking at everything that the church is about, you have now number three, yours says number four, right? But Pages likes to format on its own without telling you. And I didn't catch it, and I apologize. So this is number three, where and how to build and Wellspring fit into this. I tried to write this out more in depth so that you could read it because I had a sneaking suspicion that it would be 58 minutes after I was given 60, exactly like it is right now, and I wouldn't have time. So here's what I'm going to summarize for you. And besides, Chris talked about why a reading plan. That's question three at the end. So she already talked to you about that. But where does, where does Wellspring fit and build for the guys on that side. Where does it fit with those two different parts? You've got your biblical vision over here, the glory of God, the cross of Christ, life transformation by the Spirit, and you've got over here a gospel mission purpose of drawing in, building up, and sending out. Where does Wellspring fit? In, in many ways, it's a bridge between the two. It kind of grabs onto one side, and it grabs onto the other, and it hangs on, because what we're going to try to have you do in Wellspring as you're interacting with the Word of God is to get you just to soak your heart and mind as a worshiper of the God of glory, the, cro- the, the Christ who died on the cross, and the Spirit who's changing your life. You need to be a worshiper who's looking for those members of the Godhead every day. And we're also now realizing that you need to put your life together with others and you've got this gospel purpose and so Wellspring seeks to try to bridge the two in many ways but if I had to put it specifically someplace in the biblical vision or the gospel purpose I would put it specifically in the gospel purpose and primarily under building up 
This is a place for you to come and to get your life built up in Christ, in the gospel, so that you become one of these individual parts that's working according to the right standard, so that you can then be in connection with other women, in particular in the body of Christ at Grace Bible Church and with everybody else who's a part of the body. Then we'll, we will be fit together and held together the right way. All of this from Jesus will help us in the body to grow and become what God wants us to become as a church. So Wellspring fits primarily in the building up part. By way of contrast, Wellspring is not an outreach ministry. It doesn't happen outside the walls of Grace Bible Church trying to get people who are not a part of Grace Bible Church in. Are there things in Wellspring that would be really helpful for unbelievers outside who aren't a part of Grace Bible Church to hear? Absolutely. But that's not why we've intended and, and designed Wellspring. It's for those that we say, have you professed faith in Jesus Christ? We'll take you on the basis of your profession. And have you called Grace Bible Church your home? Great. Let's get to work. Let's grow as women, as men. Let's grow as men. And let's be everything that God wants us to be individually. And let's be everything that God wants us to be corporately as a body so that he is glorified. And that Jesus Christ is seen in our community through the church. Through what we are. So... I get to leave now and you get to ask all the questions that you want of your discussion group leader or Chris. So we should pray for Chris. (laughs) Let's pray. Father, thanks for the time together this morning. I thank you for this year that's um, beginning in Wellspring. Pray for these ladies to uh, just really, when they come on Thursdays, to just soak in the, the greatness of your word. Um, Lord, may it refresh their hearts and their minds. May they find themselves revived personally um, because of the truth that they see about you in the word of God, Lord. Help them to just take the the short bit of time that they get in here each week and may it be a a refuge for them. Lord, I thank you so much for those um, precious servants outside of this room who are taking care of little ones. And Lord, help them to get those little ones on a good routine and familiar with what it's like to be here without mom and on a weekday like this. Lord, I pray that you'd give them lots of grace and give those little ones lots of grace as well. And so, Father, we just commit ourselves to you. We want to be built up individually because you want us to connect our lives with one another so that the body of Christ is everything you desire it to be in this broken world. So, God, we pray for you to be powerful in our lives, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.